This is Dr. Chuck McGathy from First Baptist Church of Madison, and this is the podcast. I'm struggling, folks, trying to get these podcasts on. I've recorded every sermon, and so if you hunt around in some of the previous episodes, you might find additional episodes attached to them. I apologize for that. Uh, I'm not a technical marvel, and honestly, quite honestly, when they change the technology requirements on me, and I don't know how to work it, it happens. So I'm going to do my best to get this uh, message recorded. I think this is a good one. This has to do with the, uh, the burning bush is the title of it. And uh, I'm going to just go ahead and, and read the scripture for you and then go right into the sermon. And hopefully this will, this will work out. So thank you for your patience uh, and your support. Uh, love you. And uh, even though I don't know everyone I'm talking to, I do pray that you are going to be benefited by this. This comes from Exodus 3, 1 through 15. Moses was shepherding the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. He led the flock to the west end of the wilderness and came to the mountain of God, Horeb. The angel of God appeared to him in flames of fire blazing out of the middle of a bush. He looked. The bush was blazing away, but it didn't burn up. Moses said, what's going on here? I can't believe this. Amazing. Why doesn't the bush burn up? God saw that he had stopped to look. God called to him from out of the bush, Moses, Moses. He said, yes, I'm right here. God said, don't come any closer. Remove your sandals from your feet. You're standing on holy ground. And then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Moses hid his face, afraid to look at God. God said, I've taken a good long look at the affliction of my people in Egypt. I've heard their cries for deliverance. From the slave masters, I know all about their pain. I know I have come down to help them, pry them loose from the grip of Egypt, get them out of that country and bring them to a good land with wide open spaces, a land lush with milk and honey, the land of the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Perizzite, the Hivite and the Jebusite. The Israelite cry for help has come to me and I have seen for myself how cruelly they are being treated by the Egyptians. It's time for you to go back. I'm sending you to Pharaoh, to bring my people, the people of Israel, out of Egypt. Moses answered, God, but why me? What makes you think that I could ever go to Pharaoh and lead the children of Israel out of Egypt? I'll be with you, God said, and this will be the proof that I am the one who sent you. When you have brought my people out of Egypt, you will worship God right here at this very mountain. Then Moses said to God, suppose I go to the people of Israel and I tell them the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? What do I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. Tell the people of Israel, I am sent me to you. God continued with Moses. This is what you're to say to the Israelites. God, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob sent me to you. This has always been my name. This is how I always will be known. I used to live in the Mojave Desert. That fact now seems strange to me, but it is true that for three years I was indeed a resident of one of the driest and hottest places on the planet. 
One of the interesting things about the desert is the view. You can see things for miles and miles away. A column of smoke not only can be seen from a great distance, it also quite naturally invites a bit of curiosity. As it so happened one day, as I was traveling along a desert highway with a Marine Corps colonel, we looked back toward the direction of a training base called Camp Wilson. Somewhere in that general vicinity, a plume of black was wafting up from the treeless expanse, maybe 20 miles away. Colonel Doobie commented, well, that is either a meth lab exploding or one of our birds has gone down. It was not a meth lab. One of our Marine Corps jets had malfunctioned. Though the aviator managed to eject safely, the Harrier he piloted was a total loss. I thought of that moment when I tried to imagine an ancient shepherd spotting another column of smoke rising in the distance. His name was Moses, and what brought him to this moment of curiosity is a story worth retelling. Though far from the land of Egypt, this shepherd had an Egyptian name. It meant in an ancient Egyptian tongue, one drawn out. How this son of Egypt named Moses found himself in the far off land of Midian is an important part of this story. Moses was born in Egypt. The time of his birth was also a time of turbulence in the ancient empire. Racism and nationalism were rampant among the Egyptians in those days. You see, those peoples who were not considered racially Egyptian, the foreigners who had come into Egypt through migration, came to be viewed by the established people as a threat. Some of these strangers were called Habiru. The Habiru would later be known as Hebrews and had grown so numerous that the feeling among the Egyptians was that they would replace them. Not many Egyptians, for many Egyptians, this was an ever-present fear. They felt they must act now while they still could. The Hebrews must be dealt with, and so they were forced into slavery. Moses was a Hebrew, though that fact had been suppressed in his youth. As an infant, he had survived the mass murder of infant Hebrew boys. His survival was amazing. In a remarkable turn of fate, Moses had, adopted, had been adopted into the very house of Pharaoh. He was raised with the privileges and title of a prince of Egypt. Somehow the Hebrew child had become a royal of Egypt. No doubt he looked, acted, and in all ways thought like an Egyptian, but then Moses discovered his heritage and something called to him in the depths of his soul. One day he witnessed a brutal act as Egyptian taskmaster was cruelly beating a Hebrew slave. Inside a rage welled up, Moses impulsively kills the taskmaster and his fate is sealed. It was more than a homicide, it was a choice. He had chosen against the Egyptians and their ways. For that choice, he must flee Egypt to the northeast, to the far-off land we will know as Saudi Arabia, but Moses will know as Midian. Moses fled a past he not only wanted to forget, but prayed would never catch up with him. He found a girl and married. Instead of royal luxury, he found himself raising a family and working as a tender of sheep. No doubt it was simpler, more peaceful life. Then, one day, while he was out shepherding the flock, he saw smoke rising in the distance. He wondered what it could be, what it might mean. 
In the story, we can discover something about our spirits, our mutual journey together. There is, I believe, a mysterious smoke on the horizon of our desert. Could it be that it is God calling his people? How will we respond to the burning bushes that we encounter? Well, let's consider Moses and see how a burning bush quite spoke to him. What did he do when he saw that smoke? He had a choice. I suppose it would have been possible for Moses to have simply shrugged his shoulders and said, who cares? None of my business and turned to go in the other direction. Yet Moses did not do that. He was curious and open minded. Curiosity and a capacity to learn are, after all, a gift of God. Curiosity and openness. Do we have the same qualities? Are we willing to ask the hard questions? Are we open to learning new things? The journey to our burning bushes begins with wonder and a willingness to explore. We are made to be spiritual explorers. We continually come before God asking the same things. Show me your paths. Teach me your ways. Help me learn to be your follower. The next thing I'd like you to notice about Moses is this. Moses was listening to God. This is not just for Moses. Do you know God is constantly calling your name? The Bible affirms this directly in the book. Jesus is speaking when he says, Behold, I stand at the door of your heart and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. The God of Moses and our God is seeking us. Pounding on our doors, inviting us to come into the warmth of his fire and the light of his blaze. Are we listening for his knock on the door of our hearts? We next learn from Moses that as we approach God, we must do so with both humility and obedience. Humility is not a trait we tend to admire. Our national leaders, famous celebrities and other heroes are not usually described as humble. But humility is the acknowledgement that we are not God, that we need God. And by obeying God, we will find our greatest fulfillment. Moses knew this. He had learned his limitations. Moses took off his shoes. We must take off our pride. Pride that prevents us from growing in grace. I've often wondered about humbleness in connection to baptism. Baptism is a non-prideful event. We go into and under the water. When we come out, we resemble a drowned rat. But we also know something special has happened. We are forgiven. We are free to follow Jesus. God's grace has been given to us. We are a member of God's forever family. We did not do it. It is a gift. There is no pride, only gratitude and thanksgiving. I think somehow Moses knew that too. He sensed a deep connection with the God that spoke to him out of a burning bush. He heard God. He was changed by the experience. Do you understand your deep connection with God? Meeting him is not so much a surprise as it is a reunion. When we genuinely encounter God, it is like coming home. I think it was like that for Moses, and it is the same for us. The bush's burning light illuminates the way homeward. When I was a kid, I could always tell the difference between meeting my parents' friends and kinfolk. After encountering someone new, I'd ask mom and dad, how am I related to them? Somehow I knew. 
There was some connection I could not explain, but felt all the same. When we encounter God, I think we can also sense the connection that has existed all our lives. There is a feeling that this is where I belong, where I fit in, who deep down I really am. Not only do we feel a connection with God, God, I believe, feels a connection with us. We read, God said, I've taken a good long look at the affliction of my people in Egypt. I've heard their cries for deliverance from their slave masters. I know all about their pain. The meaning is clear. God is in touch with you. In modern parlance, he feels you. I don't know what that means for you, but I think I know what it meant for Moses. Moses sensed an intimacy with God. It was a personal relationship. There is love and care and purpose that define the association between God and Moses. Can you and I say the same? You see, far often, far too often, the Christianity we see around us today has been reduced to a system of rules, a club of like interest or a political action committee. Yet Moses knew better and so should we. Our faith must be a personal connection, a living encounter with the God of love, care and purpose. Moses heard that purpose. It was to hear along with God the cries of his people, cries of pain and prayers for deliverance. Can we hear those cries too? Do our burning bushes move us to help the suffering of all God's children? There is, though, this H-O-P-E, hope. Hope was evident in that moment that Moses encountered a burning bush. Listen carefully to how this hope is communicated to Moses. The Israelite cry for help has come to me, and I've seen for myself how cruelly they're being treated by the Egyptians. It's time for you to go back. I'm sending you. To Pharaoh to bring my people, the people of Israel, out of Egypt. Moses answered God, but why me? What makes you think that I could ever go to Pharaoh and lead the children of Israel out of Egypt? I'll be with you, God said. And this will be the proof that I am the one who sent you when you have brought my people out of Egypt. You will worship God right here at this very mountain. Here again, those key phrases. God said to Moses, it's time for you to go back. I'm sending you. Moses asked God, but why me? God answered, I'll be with you. Now, let me ask you a deeply personal question. Have you ever had a conversation with God like that? I think this is what we must hear from our burning bushes. The call from God to care for the ones he cares about. The demand to go back into the painful and hard places. We too will ask, but why me? Can't somebody else do the work? Can't somebody else take the risk? Can't somebody else pay the bills? But God won't let you do that anymore than he would let Moses go. Instead, he offers one singular, everlasting and all sufficient hope. I will be with you. He will be with us. Oh, how that promise changes everything. It changes individuals and it changes churches going through even the greatest difficulty. God is with us. In the New Testament, we hear it in a different way, but one worth committing to memory. If God be for us, who can be against us? Now, there are three ways Moses responds, and I suggest that there are three ways that we, like Moses, must respond to our burning bushes These all begin with the letter C, calmness, courage, and confidence. Moses would never have left that burning bush experience unless he had to some degree calmness, courage, and confidence. 
Even though we see him struggle a bit before he goes, he knows that the great I am is with him. And so he is deeply changed. First, there is calmness. We may also call that peace. It is as if we know that the very presence of God will be with us. And because of that anxiety about the what ifs are driven away. You see, the end result is not up to us. It is God's work. We affirm this weekly in our routine prayer. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. If we pray that in sincerity, then we too can be calm. I know. I know that is easier to say than it is to do. Nevertheless, we must say it and do our best to believe that we can live calm lives. The ironic use of the expression keep calm and carry on was appropriated by George Orwell for his dystopian novel 1984. However, its origins go back to the dark days of Britain and World War II. Keep Calm and Carry On was a motivational poster produced by the British government in 1939 in preparation for war. The poster was intended to raise the morale of the British public threatened with widely predicted mass air attacks on major cities. History tells us that our English allies got the message. They refused to allow themselves to become mentally defeated by the threat of Hitler's Luftwaffe. Even when the bombs fell on London and other cities, the British people refused to panic. In the end, this had just as much to do with victory as it did armed combat. The Germans just could not defeat an enemy who refused to give in to fear. What might that say to us today? Perhaps we should also embrace the slogan, be calm and carry on. The next trait of Moses and of God's children today must be courage. I just finished reading the account of the Vietnam War entitled, We Were Soldiers Once and Young. Even though I know, I knew the story through the movies and documentaries, reading the firsthand account of the Battle of the Yitrang Valley by Colonel Hal Moore and had a reporter named Joe Galloway brought me to tears. In November of 1965, about 450 men of the 1st Battalion of the 7th Cavalry were dropped into a stronghold of 2,000 Vietnamese soldiers. How they preserved, persevered, sacrificed themselves for their comrades and finally prevailed over a determined and skilled enemy required a kind of courage that is impossible to put into words. Christ's followers are likewise required to have courage. We too are surrounded and the odds are against us. But we have courage because we believe in our leader. We believe in one another. Have courage. Keep the faith. Stay in the fight. Calmness and courage. The last is this, confidence. Confidence in the future is no doubt a huge part of Moses' experience with a burning bush. Moses, I am sure, did not know the details of what was going to happen next. He knew he was to return to Egypt. He knew he would have to confront the Egyptians. He knew he had to convince the people to leave with him for an uncertain future. Yet he had no idea how all of this was going to happen. Here is the amazing thing. Somehow, Moses had confidence. Obviously, his confidence was not in himself and his abilities, but in God. And in God and his promises. So many Christian people today have no confidence in their future. Instead, they sense the end is near and choose to adopt a form of pessimism that does not honor God 
nor help advance the gospel. The burning bush demands that we adopt a confident, hope-filled perspective. My hope is that we as a church will keep calm, display courage, and have confidence in the future God has called us to. The burning bushes in our lives may come many times. Maybe it comes in that quiet moment with God. Maybe in a moment of prayer. Maybe in the words of a trusted friend. How it comes is not nearly as important as what you will do when it arrives. Will you move toward it with curiosity and openness? Will you listen for the voice of God with humility and obedience? Will you sense your connection with the God that loves you? Will that connection prompt your compassion for all God's children, even those going through the deepest pain? Will you choose hope marked by your calmness, courage, and confidence in the promised kingdom of God? You can. The burning bush is calling your name. The ground upon which you are standing is holy ground. Let us pray. Lord, you promised that you are the great I am, and now we need to move out on that hope, the promise of your presence, and that your will will be done. With calmness, courage, and confidence, we go into that tomorrow that you've promised for us to do your will. Amen.